Hi, you're listening to Let's Talk About It with me, Ani White. This is episode 14, Grizzly Man. I'm out in the prime cut of the big green. Behind me is Ed and Rowdy, members of an up-and-coming sub-adult gang. They're challenging everything, including me. Goes with the territory. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. I must hold my own if I'm going to stay within this land. For once there is weakness, they will exploit it, they will take me out, they will decapitate me, they will chop me into bits and pieces. I'm dead. But so far, I persevere. Persevere. This documentary was suggested by a listener, so thanks for the suggestion. So let's get into Grizzly Man. Filmmaker Werner Herzog profiles grizzly bear enthusiast Timothy Treadwell, who was killed by one of the animals he studied in 2003. So this documentary is highly acclaimed. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. It went on to be nominated and win numerous critics awards, including the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Documentary and the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Award for Best Documentary. It's appeared on many best films lists, including the Hollywood Reporter's 50 Best Films of the 21st Century and the Forbes list of 150 Greatest Films. So let's start with a content warning. Um, There are some pretty gruesome details about the death by bear attack that happens in this documentary. You do not see it, but it is described in some detail. The documentary opens with a shot of a beautiful scene of mountains in the background, two grizzly bears in the field at the foot of those mountains, and then Timothy enters the shot explaining that he has to hold his own with these bears or he'll be killed. He has to not back down, he says, and that's the opening audio clip that you just heard. He calls himself a kind warrior, but if he's challenged, he has to be a samurai and become formidable. Now, I did not know a whole lot about Timothy before this documentary. I think I had heard the very basics of his story. And at this point in the opening shot, I was just immediately, I don't know, taken aback. He talks about being non-invasive, but the very act of being there amongst the bears is fairly invasive in and of itself. Just that he's he's really inserted himself into their environment and he is almost immediately in the documentary, you see him interacting with them as though he's one of them. There's something quite shocking about the way that Timothy Treadwell looks. To me, he looks like a surfer from California, which I think he kind of was. And it's a little jarring to see him with that backdrop of Alaskan mountains and bears. And at first I thought he sounded like he was from California. I did look look it all up and it's dealt with later in the film too. Um, He grew up in New York, he went to college in Illinois, and then settled in Southern California. We'll eventually get to more on that later. This, This documentary, this entire story is just bonkers. There were so many times I just was thinking, what the fuck is going on right now? I I don't even mean Timothy sometimes. There were bonkers moments in this documentary that had nothing to do with Timothy. Anyway, in the documentary, we hear Werner Herzog tell us that all the footage we see is from Timothy Treadwell himself and that he spent 13 summers living amongst the bears. 
the final five years, he also brought along a video camera and began filming them along with himself. And he had over 100 hours of footage that Werner has used to create this documentary. And then Werner talks about how the story is not just the wildlife that Timothy captured, but about human ecstasies and inner turmoil. Now, the bears do come close enough for Timothy to reach out and touch at times. And there are times Timothy feels that the bears challenge him and he has to hold his ground and earn their respect. Now, this is just my interpretation and opinion of what everything looks like, but he just looks so out of place in a way. And I'm not saying he doesn't know a lot about bears. He's clearly spent a lot of time observing them. It's just that image of his bright, blonde, long hair that just looks so oddly misplaced in the Alaskan wilderness among huge brown bears. Although, can I just say as an aside, the bears are so cute. Why are bears so adorable? They look so cute and fluffy. Like, why not friend if friend shaped? But I almost have a bad feeling that Timothy kind of took that thought a little too far himself. I mean, he was giving them names like they were pets or something. So in remote areas of the Alaskan Peninsula, Timothy felt he was going to show the bears in their natural habitat and help in conservation efforts and bring awareness to them. There's a very childlike enthusiasm to the way that Timothy talks sometimes. And then we learned that he visited schools and spoke to thousands of school children over the years to give talks and show his photographs of his time with the bears. And these talks were really successful. The kids really loved hearing about his stories. And he just saw this as a way to further his message. And so he didn't charge any fees for his appearances. And over time, he just really became more and more popular and news of his adventures and work with the bears just it actually became newsworthy themselves. And, you know, he was interviewed in this clip that we see in the documentary by Keith Morrison. We later hear him mention how he had been interviewed on David Letterman. And then we're kind of brought back down when we see Warren Queenie, who is a close friend of Timothy's. And he he's an actor himself. And he describes the day that he found out what happened to Timmy, as he calls him. He says he heard his wife scream and he ran into the room and he saw Timmy's face on the TV and he said he knew before he heard anything that the worst had happened and that while it wasn't a huge surprise, it was still the worst news. And Warren, like I said, is an actor and his interviews kind of are a little theatrical, I guess. I don't know. It just crossed my mind while I was watching was all. We then see the last photograph of Timothy and his girlfriend, Amy Huguenard, taken by a pilot, Willie Fulton, who was also a good friend of Timothy's, that brought him out to the remote Alaskan Peninsula at the beginning of the last summer that he spent there. Treadwell really saw himself as the guardian of this land, or like the Prince Valiant there to keep the bad guys from harming the bears. This is according to Willie. Although this land that he was on for the most part was federally protected land, it was all part of Katmai National Park. There's a large plains area where Timothy would spend the early summer months, and he called that area the sanctuary. 
before he would move along about 35 miles to this densely overgrown area, which he called the Grizzly Maze, where he would observe the late summer salmon run. And it was there that Willie Fulton would pick him up in the fall. On October 6, 2003, Willie Fulton landed his plane in that area to pick up Tim and Amy. It was foggy and windy, but he didn't hear Tim or see him or any of his gear, so he starts yelling for them. And he does see a little bit of movement on the hill, so he thinks, well, maybe it's just too windy for them to hear him. So he starts heading up to where he had seen the movement and presumably their camping site. And he says he got partway up the hill and he just had some really bad vibes. So he came kind of running back down the trail. And as he got into the thickest part of the trees, he turned and saw what he described as like this large, nasty looking bear. And he was near enough to his plane then that he was close enough to run up into it and climbed in. And then he just took off flying around the area looking for Tim and Amy. And when he looked down, he could see that the bear appeared to be eating something. And he thought it looked like a human rib cage, which he did assume must be Tim or Amy. So he circled around and he kept trying to fly the plane closer to the bear, trying to scare it off. And it's then that Willie realizes how close he had come to his own death by that bear and basically describes having a panic attack when he realizes it. He then calls back to the office and tells them what happened and that they're going to need assistance out there. Willie then takes Werner on this trail that he took the park service on, leading them to where he had seen the bear with the body. And they stop at one point to look around and um, he says this is when this is where the point where someone yelled bear when he was leading the park service and everyone pulled their guns out. Willie ducks down and they end up firing on the bear. Willie walks up to the bear to see if he recognizes it and he does. He tells them that this is the bear that killed Tim. And it did end up being the one that they found Tim's remains inside. The next footage is of Tim 10 days before his death and he's talking about the older, less healthy bears, that they are the ones who are the most aggressive because they're the ones trying to survive and so they're the ones who are the most dangerous. And he's there in the shop with one of these bears that he says threatened him earlier on the trail. And then we're back with Willie describing what remained of Timothy, what they found after killing the bear. And that included his head and his arm that still had his wristwatch on it. He says the tough thing to know is that Tim would never have wanted the bear to be killed. And Tim would have preferred you know, his remains never be found than to have them found and have a bear killed in that process. And they'll get more into the why of Tim's death towards the end of the documentary, but Willie says people didn't give Tim enough credit for how long he made it living out there among the bears and in the wilderness. And he mentions how this bear that killed Tim was kind of an anomaly, but like I said, I'll, I'll get more to, into that story as we get there. We then see footage of Tim with a female bear that he's nicknamed the Grinch, who is kind of aggressive with him. And he kind of yells at her when she gets too close and she does back off. And then he's so apologetic, telling the bear he loves her and he's sorry. And it's again, just a little too much like a pet. 
We then see an interview with Sam Egley from Egley Air Hall, and he was called out as a helicopter pilot to help recover Tim and Amy's remains and the cleanup of the scene. And he's got some opinions about Tim, some pretty strong opinions. He describes how they hauled away four garbage bags full of people out of that bear. And he describes Tim as well-meaning, but he was acting like he was working with people wearing bear costumes instead of wild animals. He says those bears are big and ferocious. They're equipped to kill you and eat you. And Treadwell got what he was asking for and what he deserved. And that the tragedy was taking his girlfriend out there with him. And he thinks the only reason Tim lasted as long was because the bears thought there was something mentally wrong with him. And he thinks either the bear had had enough of Tim or something clicked like, hey, that guy might be good to eat. So he thinks Tim thought that the bears were less dangerous than they really were and thought they were going to bond as children of the universe or some odd thing and lost sight of what was really going on, which kind of harsh, Sam, but not completely off base here in particular about the bear that ultimately killed Tim and Amy. Then we meet someone who has less harsh words for Tim. Uh, we hear from Marnie Gady. She's an ecologist and she talks about how Tim in some ways wanted to become like the bear almost in a religious or spiritual way. In some of his letters to her, he said things like that he felt he had to mutate into a bear in order to live the life that he did. He said in another that death felt like the only option because his work would possibly be taken more seriously if he were to die doing it. And in some ways he was right. Um, I don't think I'd know his name if it weren't for his death. And Werner likely would not have ended up making this documentary either. But his message definitely was not one that everyone believed in. Um, his friends, the Gaties, Mark and Marnie, had many letters there that Tim received from people who were not at all happy with what Tim was doing or his message. They actually read some of them. They're pretty harsh about stereotypical environmentalists looking for donations. And Mark refutes that, saying Timothy made no money doing what he did. Werner also says that he wants to step in a little bit for Tim's defense. And he says, not really as an environmentalist, but as a filmmaker, the footage that Timothy captured is unlike what most anyone will ever be able to capture, and definitely not anyone in the mainstream film world. We see the foxes near his camp playing with him and hanging around him like pet dogs, and he ran around with them. They're very playful with him. And the footage of them running together is not something you're going to see very often. And neither is the next footage of Tim with his favorite bear, Mr. Chocolate. And he's talking about wrapping up his time in the sanctuary and heading down to the grizzly maze when all of a sudden one of the foxes shows up with her pups. And then the fox ends up right at the camera lens. And then there's another shot later of a fox stealing Tim's hat and playing with it and then running off with it to their den. Tim's chasing them, trying to get the hat back. And it's funny, although it seems a little bit like Tim, he's a little pissed off about it because he probably needs the hat. 
We then hear from a bear biologist named Larry Vandale, and he says that many people talk about how Tim wanted to be a bear and often acted like one when he was confronted with people out on his trips. And he says no one knows for sure why Tim did that, but when you spend a lot of time with bears, he calls it like a siren song to live in that world because it's a simpler world, but it is a harsh world. And there is a desire to live like them and in that world, but we can't truly do that because we just are not one of them. Now we hear from Dr. Sven Hawkinson from the Kodiak Museum, and he talks about how the line between bear and human is one that is respected by Native Alaskans like Dr. Sven Hawkinson. He's also a Native Alaskan. And he says that he sees Tim's story as tragic because of their deaths, but that Tim tried to act like a bear. And for Native Alaskans, they know they should not do that. They don't invade in bears' territories. And when you're in their territory, you should make sure that they know you're around. And for him to try to act like a bear the way he did, he felt was disrespecting the bear and what it represents. And when Werner says, you know, well, Tim, didn't Tim try to protect the bears? And Dr. Hawkinson says he thinks Tim did more damage than good because when you habituate bears to humans, they begin to think all humans are safe like Tim, and that's not the case. He says Tim crossed that boundary that natives have kept for thousands of years, and when you cross that boundary, you sometimes pay the price. We then see Dr. Frank Felico, the coroner, and he's giving Jewel Polovic the watch that Tim was wearing when he died. And, okay, I got a lot to say about this weirdo. Why Werner kept any of the interviews with the coroner, I do not know. Because if you thought Tim's actor friend was theatrical, he's got nothing on this coroner who is so unserious. I don't get it. So, first of all, he tells Jewel that, okay, let's, backstory on Jewel. Jewel's basically Timothy's best friend his former girlfriend, his employee. Like she basically ran his foundation that's called Grizzly People. She knew him for 20 years and he left everything to her. So this coroner takes this watch out of an evidence bag and says, I think you should have this watch because you knew Timothy so well, like he's giving her a gift. Hey, my dude, that watch doesn't belong to you. You're not giving it to her. It's not, I think you should have something. It's this belongs to you because Timothy left you everything. So right from the beginning, I did not like his vibes. Who does he think he is? So weird. He honestly just gets weirder. But anyway, he presents Jewel with the watch and she puts it on and she says she'll wear it. And she says that will always remind her of Tim and Amy. And she does talk a little bit about Amy. And it's the first glimpse we get into who Amy was. She says that Amy was brave and strong and was her friend and was Tim's friend. And yes, she was Tim's girlfriend, but most of all, she was his friend. And she wants to honor their choice and respect them for what they did and how they did it and for protecting bears and living their lives to the fullest and that they died doing what they lived for. She signs off on taking the watch and then they kind of sit there awkwardly. Well, the coroner sits there awkwardly and then Jewel cries because it's the last thing that Tim left behind for her. Then we see Jewel on her patio and she's talking to Werner and he asks her if she feels like his, like Tim's widow. 
And she laughs, but she says yes in a way she does feel like that because everything he had and was is left to her to carry on, uh, including grizzly people, his foundation. And its purpose is to protect the bears and preserve their habitats around the world. And Tim was obviously kind of a chaotic person, but grizzly people was what kept him grounded. And ultimately, it's a little bit that Jewel kept him grounded and organized with that foundation. We do get this story from Jewel about how she met Tim working at this restaurant. And it's kind of cute, but it doesn't add a lot to it, but it shows that they were kind of like kindred spirits, I guess. When we see Tim with a fox that he calls his friend who lets him pet him, and I couldn't help but think how good Tim would have been working with safer animals. Like he obviously has a real gift with animals and I couldn't help but imagine him at an animal shelter befriending and taking care of all the dogs and cats and whatever else came in. He would have been so good at something like that. But I do see that Tim would not have loved the people side of that. Working with other people likely would not have been his favorite thing to do, but I don't know. Maybe if he had his own shelter or something, taking in strays. Tim used his camera as a tool to get his message across, and he was quite methodical about his filmmaking. He took many different shots, trying to get the right take. But amidst his kind of action shots of himself, he ended up capturing so many just beautiful, amazing shots of the wilderness around him, almost by accident sometimes. And over time with the video camera, it seemed that he became more and more introspective, talking to the camera and examining his own inner self, his own demons, like a confessional. And you really felt like he was on a search for himself. He talks about how he thinks God, if there is a God, would be proud of the work he's done, that he's proud of himself for the work he's done at protecting these animals. And he says that he would die for these animals and that the animals gave him a life. He does talk a bit about his personal life here and there. He says he was very passive with women, but he thinks he's fun, has a good personality, and he's good in the sack. And he wished, sometimes he wished he was gay because he thought that would be easier. And he goes on about that, but okay, Tim. He talks about how in the past he was quite troubled. He drank a lot. And that nothing could stop him from drinking until he discovered this land of bears and feeling that they needed a caretaker. But they needed a person who was not messed up. So he was able to give up the drinking. And it's a, he finds it to be a miracle that he was able to give it up. But he did it for the animals. He says he realizes it's dangerous living with wild animals like this. But he feels freer and almost like a child, but that yes, it's a very serious thing to live there, and I would assume to prepare to live there. And he says it can get very lonely, but part of the character he was trying to portray was one that was completely alone. So even though he sometimes brought his girlfriends with him for parts of his trips, and Amy was with him the last few trips that he made, he pretended for the camera that he was alone. On July 26th, he was dropped off at the Grizzly Maze area, and he talks about how alone he is, and in some ways he's really playing the character of the lone protector of the Grizzlies. 
Now, Amy's family declined to be on camera for the documentary, so we don't get in-depth information about her. And she appears only twice in the 100 hours of footage. And so most of the information we have about her is from Tim's diaries, in which he does mention that Amy was frightened of the bears. And there's also one shot of Tim that's from a handheld camera, so it obviously must be Amy who is on the other side of the lens. And now we're back to the weirdo corner. He brings out the metal coffin-looking thing that he said held Tim and Amy's remains at one time. He said there were plastic bags in there, one for each of their remains. And he talks about his process in determining what happened to them. Only, this is how he says it. He says, who are you, Timothy? Who are you, Amy? And what happened to you? So then he talks about the gruesomeness of what was left of them. Only, again, he says it in this way that feels so weird to me. Like he talks about how it affected him made the hairs on the back of his neck stand up. He's waving his arms around with his eyes. His eyes are as wide open as they can get, basically. It's weird. But eventually he does get around to saying that using what investigators told him and what was left of their bodies and the audio recording of the attack that was left behind via the video camera, it had been on when they were attacked and the lens had been left on though so there's only audio of the event actually happening so with all that he says he does feel that the event occurred very quickly and unexpectedly okay <laughs> thanks kind of felt like it didn't take a genius to figure that out but okay he does describe that on the audio you can hear tim moaning and amy screaming i don't know how he knows this but he says amy was beating the bear with a frying pan I guess maybe the pan was left out, so they think that's what happened. And eventually on the audio, you can hear Tim yelling at Amy to run away and to get away. Tim clearly believes he's going to die and he wants Amy to save him, save herself. But she does not run away. She stays. She fights back for approximately six minutes. And the coroner talks about this part of what happened. Like, he just goes on and on, like five minutes talking about that. And he says, Amy stayed with her lover and she was so loyal. And I mean, I do, I obviously do not know Amy. And okay, this is going to sound harsh, but I wanted this guy to keep her name out of his mouth. I would rather hear from someone who actually knew Amy than anything from this guy. So anyway, he goes into a lot of gruesome details that I'm not going to get into, but it was a vicious, awful death. We're then back at Jewel's home and Jewel has Tim's video camera and so she does let Werner listen to the audio of the attack which she herself has never listened to. And I can understand how you obviously would never want to listen to the death of your loved one. So of course Jewel has never listened to it. But here's what I had a problem with. Werner eventually asks Jewel to turn off the tape and it obviously affected Werner a lot to listen to it. And he's very emotional. And that makes Jewel start to cry. And he says to her that she must never listen to it. And she says she knows that she's never going to do that. And then he says to never look at the photos from the corner. And she says, you know, I'm never going to look at them. And she knew it was very bad. And she says she'll never release the audio to anyone. 
And so we do not hear the audio itself. But then Werner says he thinks she should destroy the tape because it'll be the white elephant in her life otherwise. And I just thought it was very presumptuous to tell her what to do with that tape. I do understand that Werner and like that coroner have become deeply involved in Tim's story and in what happened to Tim and Amy, but they don't know them. And I think it's crap to tell anyone who did know Tim and Amy what they should or shouldn't do. I was actually kind of pissed off about it, but I did look into this a little bit more and Werner did later in an interview backtrack on what he had said to Amy. And um, he said it was stupid, silly advice born out of the immediate shock of hearing the most terrifying thing he'd ever heard in his life. And he just was shocked and he told her, you know, you should never listen to it. You should rather destroy it. Shouldn't be sitting on your shelf in your living room all the time. But he said that Jewel did not destroy it and that instead she did something much wiser and just separated herself from the tape and put it in a bank vault. So there's that anyway. The next footage we see is a fight captured between bears. It is vicious and violent and frightening. One of the bears is injured from the fight and you can see how no human has a chance against an animal like this. In the aftermath of the fight, Tim attempts to discuss the fight that was presumably over a female bear. <laughs> he talks about it like it's a fight over girls and kind of relates it back to himself. And it's funny, though, because in a way, Tim talks about the human world as something truly foreign to him, and it's in nature where he himself feels more at home. Now, Werner kind of starts waxing poetic about the icy glaciers that separate Tim from the rest of the world and how this was like a metaphor for Tim's soul. Werner next interviews Timothy's parents whose names are Val and Carol Dexter. They now live in Florida and they talk about how he grew up and he had four siblings and he grew up in a middle-class family on Long Island in New York. During the interview, his mother clutches Timothy's stuffed animal teddy bear that was his childhood favorite. It's one that he carried with him many times. And his childhood seemed very normal and he was a good student. He loved animals. At one point, he even had a pet squirrel, so I guess he was always kind of into the wild animals. Eventually, he became a great swimmer and was on the diving team in high school and eventually went to Bradley University in Illinois on a diving scholarship. However, his mom says that while at college, he seemed to get in with a crowd of people that liked to drink a lot, so he was drinking a lot. He ended up injuring his back, which pretty much ended his diving scholarship, so he was forced to come back home. His parents say he was, you know, smoking pot, but kind of needed a new, fresh start. So he decides to go to California. He's 19 or 20 at this time. And so he gets a job in a gift shop and hires an agent and changes his name to Timothy Treadwell and tries to make it as an actor. And so he did appear in a few things on TV. I guess he was on Love Connection. And he tested for the part of the bartender on Cheers. And that is the role that eventually went to Woody Harrelson. And Tim was really crushed when he did not land that role. And after that is when he kind of began to spiral downward. His friend Warren talks about how Tim 
did like to body surf, how he was fearless. He talks about Tim's hair, how it would always somehow stay in place. (laughs) And he also talks uh, a little bit more about somewhat Tim's dark side and also just some odd things about Tim. Tim did have a near fatal overdose at one time and Warren feels like that was kind of his epiphany moment. And he was looking for a different persona and came up with some stories about where he was from and his made up accent. He would claim to be an orphan from Australia in the outback. His accent was not, (laughs) let's just say it was not a very good Australian accent. I don't know if you could tell from that clip, but like I had no idea he was even trying to sound Australian until we got to this point in the documentary. And then I would kind of pick up on it after this, but yeah, I had no idea that's what his accent was supposed to be. Now, after Tim's death, all the real details of his life obviously come to light and people would ask Warren if he was angry about Tim not being truthful about where he was from and about his accent. And Warren just says he was not angry at all, that it's something that never bothered him. He says that there's an old saying on the farm that if it doesn't scare the cows, then who cares? (laughs) And Tim didn't scare the cows. So, well, okay then. Jewel does explain further that yes, Tim was a troubled person. And at one time he did take antidepressants, but then he stopped taking them because he felt like he just, you know, wasn't himself and that he wanted the highs and lows and not just the middle ground. And Jewel says that he did have a dark side and there had been a time in his life where he was involved with some not great people. Tim talks about how much he loves the animals all the time. Um, There are points in his video footage where you see him cry about it. He gets emotional about how much he loves them. He's even saddened by a bumblebee that he sees that he thinks might have died. But that The bee then moves and then he thinks it might be sleeping. And that just, it made me laugh when that happened. There's another point where he gets all excited about bear poop that just came out of a bear. He actually touches the bear poop, like in an effort to feel closer to the bear. And of course, sometimes Tim came across animals who had been killed. And it seemed to throw him off a little because this place, he had come to see it as being perfect and nature being in perfect harmony but in the wild of course you're going to see animals be killed at one point he finds a bear cub's paw and he's pretty devastated about it now i didn't know this but Werner explains that apparently some male bears will kill a cub in order to stop the female bear from lactating so that then they're ready to mate again and then another time tim finds this killed baby fox and he's devastated about that and he almost seemed to ignore sometimes that you know you're in the wild there's a predator and prey situation going on here now in the summer of 2000 there was an extreme drought and starving bears did sometimes eat their own and he was clearly the most devastated when he would see things like this at this point tim became really desperate And he began trying to build a way for the fish to make their salmon run so that the bears would have enough to eat. 
And then he eventually even started praying to every god he could think of for rain. He, well, I say pray, but he's actually screaming at the sky more than praying. Like at one point he says, let's have some water, Jesus boy. Let's have some fucking water for these animals. And it was kind of funny how then the rain does pick up and he's like, uh, thanks God. <laughs> and then he says like, I am the Lord's humble servant and Allah's disciple. And thanks the floaty Hindu guy. Like he just, he's a dramatic guy anyway. Now the storm that comes eventually caves his tent in at one point. And he's filming himself in this tent during this big storm. And he's talking about how this is his life and he loves it. We then see the bear expert again talking, and he says that in Alaska, they have a pretty healthy bear population of 35,000 brown grizzly bears. It's a fairly stable population, but bears have low reproduction rates and they need a lot of land to roam. And he does talk about how bear hunting is a big thing for the economy of Alaska. And he says on Kodiak Island, they quote unquote harvest a certain number of bears for bear hunting. He says 6% is what they can harvest in order to still have a healthy population. And he does say that poaching just is not a big problem in Kodiak, that it's been a very rare occurrence in the last 20 years. But despite those statistics, Tim became very paranoid about poachers and he felt he must protect the bears. He did have some video footage of people who had come to take photos of the bears and had thrown rocks at them, which made him so upset. But it did not look like those people were poachers. They just kind of looked like tourists. Now, people did sometimes leave Tim messages on logs and his near his stuff, and he felt the messages were very threatening, even when the messages just said things like, see you next summer, Tim, and... But he just hated seeing when there was any sign of humans that had been near his camp. They once put a smiley face on a rock near his stuff, and he felt that that was like a warning. He thought it was creepy, Freddy Krueger creepy, he said. And all visitors Tim considered intruders. Even the Park Service Rangers, he considered them the enemy because of the restrictions that they had in place. Like one rule was that campers must move one mile after seven consecutive days. So he obviously is not following that rule. And so in order to kind of stay under the radar, he would camouflage and hide his tent. But he was in constant violation of the park rule that you had to maintain a 100-yard distance from the bears. So anyway, these restrictions made him increasingly furious. Now, he does one take at the end of the summer where he just talks about wrapping everything up and the bears are mostly safe in their dens, ready to hibernate. And then he does this other take where he goes on a rampage about the government, how he's an American dissident, and he's like screaming obscenities about the Park Service. Now, Werner has some really interesting insights into this. He says that he thinks Tim is actually raging against the outside world, for which he has only contempt. And he has seen this kind of madness from actors on film sets where they basically lose their shit. And he's seeing that now in Timothy. I mean, Werner doesn't say lose their shit, but you get it. 
Tim seems to be fighting civilization itself. And Werner talks about, like, if you think back to people like Thoreau with Walden or Jack London with Call of the Wild, like, Tim seemed to share similar viewpoints about civilization. So it's not like this is a new concept or anything. We then meet another friend of Tim's named Kathleen Parker, and she talks about how much she misses him and how good of friends they were. She does still have some of his ashes. And she talks about how during the winters she would store his gear for him and he would always set out for Alaska from her house. And he always told her that if he didn't come back, that this was the way he wanted to go. We then see Willie in his plane as he takes Kathleen and Jewel to the spot where Tim would camp and where they decide to spread his ashes. And Kathleen spreads them and says to rest peacefully. And Jewel just says, you know, Tim found a way to stay here forever. Werner now talks about the path that they took on this last trip, and he calls it an absurdity as to what actually happened to them. Not sure I would use that word, but it does feel like some pretty bad luck. I think if you asked him, he would say it was civilization and humans failing him all over again. But so here's what happened. The expedition was over and they had returned to Kodiak to fly home to California. But at the airport, Tim has an altercation with the airline agent over the validity of his ticket. And in his diary, he wrote how much he hated the people's world. And so he and Amy actually returned to his campsite instead of leaving. Now, Amy had a deadline to return for a new job, and she was really frightened of being in that area at that time. And she spoke openly about leaving him for good. She called him hell-bent on destruction. And I don't know, she remained with him, though. And he is in the grizzly maze at this point, and normally he would not be there that late in the year. And when they returned to that camp, the bears that he knew, they were gone. Like the, the bears that he was used to had all gone into hibernation, and unknown wilder bears from the interior had moved into the area. Now, a few days before his death, Tim filmed about how dangerous it was to camp the way he was camping. And in the shot, he actually is showing the site of his future death. And he talks about how he'll never give up doing what he's doing. His last video shows a bear that they think may have been the one to kill Tim and Amy. It was quite old for a bear, 28 years old, and this late in the season, the bear might just have been desperate to get enough food before he had to hibernate. Werner says that to Tim, the bears were a friend and a savior, but basically that Werner himself did not see the things in the bears that Tim did. And he says that Tim saw something in the bears that was not true, that was not real, and that there was no kinship and that these were wild animals. Now the coroner, you know, my favorite, anyway, he goes into talking about Amy's last moments, the screaming and Tim yelling at her to run, and he talks about Tim's last moments and what injuries he had at the time that his life is fading away and his attempts to get Amy to save herself. The last video of Tim is a few hours before his death and he's talking about how much he loves the bears, how much he loves this, and he tells us to take care of the animals in the land. And he actually takes a while to turn the camera off and he's still in that shot kind of just almost reluctant. And whether Tim was right or wrong in his efforts, 
What remains is this incredible footage that he captured with his video camera. Verger says that beyond that, we also get a look into what it means to be human and our own nature, and that that also gives meaning to Tim's life and Tim's death. Now, the last shots of the documentary are so poignant. We see Willie the pilot. He's flying over the area, and he's singing along to this song called Coyotes by Don Edwards. And he fits Tim's name into the lyrics. So this song is this country western song about a cowboy reminiscing about the old days, about all the things that have gone away. And the lyrics, part of the lyrics are, now the longhorns are gone and the drovers are gone, the Comanches are gone and the outlaws are gone. Geronimo is gone and Sam Bass is gone and the lion is gone. And instead of Red Wolf is gone, he sings and Treadwell has gone. And then we're left with the song and Tim walking away from the camera with the bears following along behind him. So this documentary, it was fascinating. It was incredible to see such amazing footage of bears and foxes in the wild that Tim was able to capture. But there's, of course, a tragedy at the heart of the story, the tragic story of Tim's short life. Did Tim's work help or harm is a question the viewer has to answer for themselves. Werner does give his own thoughts too, but ultimately for me, Timothy Treadwell was as complex a human as you will ever find, and he made for an incredible subject for a documentary. And let's be real, I think Tim and all his drama would have been thrilled that his work was shown through the lens of someone like Werner Herzog. But as always, I would love to know your thoughts about this one. You can find me on Instagram at Let's Talk About It or on my blog at tumblr.com slash Let's Talk About It. Let me know what documentary you want me to watch next. If you can, check out my Q&A and poll for the week if you're on Spotify. Please leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. And this podcast is now available on Podcast Addict if you would rather listen there. Thank you for listening. I will be back next Tuesday with another listener-recommended documentary to talk about. Bye.